0: would uh, stand up with me as we read God's Word together. Uh, we'll be reading from, from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. So, uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, I also have the, the pleasure of introducing um, our preacher today, uh, Mr. Mark Smith. Um, Mark has been uh, Mark has been in some form of, of teaching or ministry um, for, his, for his career. He, we, we had a chance to get to know him a little bit, and he uh, has spent time in Guam as a children's ministry director out there for a church. He has spent time um, with a church over in West Seattle, the Hallows Church. He was there for a long time as well. And he most recently uh, has helped as a teacher over at Seattle Classical Christian School. Um <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have a mascot now, the Voyagers. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we, we had a chance to get to know Mark a little bit. Uh, uh, Steve, Josh, and I, we talked to him on Zoom and just, and just spent some time getting to know him. And um, a couple things that stood out to me, one was just like, he just is a very um, very passionate about, about what he does, about, about teaching, about families, about church. Um, that really came through in the conversation that we had. And uh, the other thing that he that he said that, um, that I valued a lot too is he said he really values this. He said, I, I value the, the gathered body of Christ coming together to worship Him together as as one. He he places a lot of a lot of value there. So we um, instantly when when I was thinking about uh, kind of trusting Him with this space, that that gave me a lot of comfort to know how much uh, value He places on the Word of God, places on the family of God being together and worshiping together, um, and and really respecting that and, and how important that is. And then uh, it's just the, the last thing I want to say too. So this this passage uh, in Luke eight was one at, at the end of last year when we were kind of talking about what, what we wanted this year to look like, what we wanted to do, um, this passage actually was one that, that we knew we wanted to spend some time in to really understand the Word of God and understand um, what it means to kind of be that, that, rooted, that rooted soil um, as a people of God, understanding the depth that, that should be there. So I'm excited that, that God put this on your heart for us today because uh, this is one that we had on our hearts um, for our church as well. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Good morning, Icon. Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Uh, thank you for the warm introduction. Um, it's so great to be with you, worshiping with you. It's really nice to be among friends uh, because I recognize so many of you here. Uh, my family and I, we live in the West Seattle area, and so uh, we go to SCCS, which I heard all that representation, so it was really good. Um, if you do have your Bibles, if you would turn with me. Um, to the passage that we just read, which is Luke chapter 8, and that's verses we're going to put in our attention on this parable of the sower in verses 4 through 15. And I, now I didn't know any of that context, and so that's extra special to me. Um, But my motivation as I was praying about what um, I could share this morning, um, God did put this on my heart, but kind of maybe in a different way, in a way that I didn't quite know there was more context to. Um, As I've been uh, knowing more and hearing more about ICON, something that stands out to me is how you guys put a big emphasis on real life. Real life. It's a value of yours is to be a disciple in real life circumstances. And there is no other real or raw gospel than Luke. Every gospel in the New Testament has a type of shape and character to it that the author is trying to kind of display before us. So John, you have, you have Jesus as the Son of God, heaven coming down, right? Um, the church historically has always put um, uh, John's gospel in like a picture of an eagle, The son of God is coming down from heaven. You have Matthew who shows the lineage of Jesus, the son of David, right? He's the one who came to save. And looking back over generations and generations, Mark starts immediately with uh, Jesus' ministry, right? He's the lion that's coming to rescue all of the people to save. He's that lion who's going in. But Luke, Luke is from the earth up. Luke's intention is to show real life. Luke's intention is to be raw and real. There's more descriptions of the physical demon possessions and what that does to a person's body. And there's more descriptions of um, physical illnesses in Luke than any other gospel. Because Luke, being a physician, he wants to be real. And he wants to show that Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is really the one who's coming to seek and to save the lost. So Luke portrays humanity and then he portrays such a wonderful Savior who will go into the depths of real, real life, the dark places, to save those that he loves. So that's what I was excited about when I was thinking about what we could preach on. But this morning, we're going to be hearing a story from Jesus, which is the parable of the sower. And it teaches us about the heart. It's a story of the heart that teaches us the conditions of the heart. And he gives us these wonderful descriptions of what happens when the gospel takes root in a willing And noble hearts. That's what we're going to be putting our attention into. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open up our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive your word this morning. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who he is. Thank you for what he's done. And thank you that he is our great physician and our master storyteller who invites us in. To hear the gospel over and over again. And I pray that we would be comforted in it. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. So I love good stories. I used to, before, there was one other element in my past. I used to be a drama teacher. And before that, I used to be in drama. That kind of led the way to the inspiration of teaching. Um, But I remember when I was taking drama classes, um, storytelling is one of the things that always stood out to me. I love good storytelling, and there's an art to it. I don't know if you guys know. People who call themselves, consider themselves storytellers are normally real good. Like they've got the whole art and the craft of storytelling. But my mentor and the guy who, who taught me, his name was Mark Lewis. And basically, he was like a really husky, happy pirate, he, he was this Pacific Northwest guy. He always wore pirate shirts. He had a huge beard, huge big guy, and just this tiny little glasses that hung at the, at the bottom of his nose. And he's the one who taught me about storytelling. And I loved him. He was awesome. Even though I didn't know him super well, I still loved him. Um, but he taught me about word pictures and when you're telling stories, what's really important is um, to make stories come alive, right? So he would, he would tell us that um, use words in a way that the person can see them. You're not just explaining the words to them, to the audience. So he would describe things like blue nouns. Use blue nouns. Use yellow adjectives and use red verbs, All this kind of helps paint pictures in our minds and help things come to life and use our imagination. And storytelling, I think when done well, connects the heart to the imagination. They have the power to explain to us true things in an inviting way and in a way that we can see. And Jesus is a master storyteller. Jesus used blue nouns and yellow adjectives and a lot of red verbs. In our passage, Jesus is in the midst of another crowd who gathered after he's been doing ministry. They're waiting for him to speak. And Mark's gospel even tells us that this crowd was so big that Jesus got in a boat to go to do his teaching. No better opportunity to just tell people, I think that's pretty interesting. And I also think that's kind of bizarre, right? It's bizarre that we don't quite know what he's doing and what he was up to, just like the disciples didn't. But Jesus' stories were not told to bring us out of ourselves they weren't told to bring us into a fantasy world. They weren't told to bring us into a false type of reality that we can um, escape our true realities. He told stories for us to know ourselves. That's the difference of Jesus' stories versus other stories you might read. Simple stories about who we really are called parables. Parables are for the heart, about the heart. So it's important to understand for us when Jesus is telling this parable that he's telling stories of the heart. So let's read together. This is verses four through eight, and we're gonna walk through this, this passage together. It says verse four, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some of the rock, as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold." And he said these, and as he said these things, he called out, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is just sharing amidst this big crowd a common scene, but that strikes the imaginations of everyone. A sower going out to sow seed. That is mundanely relatable. Imagine yourself doing that. That's got to be one of the quietest motions that you're doing, sowing seed. But the true message of the story is about how someone's heart receives the word. And as he tells us later, the seed is the word. But to some, in this big crowd, it's just seed. It's just a mundane experience. It's an everyday life experience. But already Jesus is capturing people's attention The meaning of the message is camouflaged within a story for people eager to hear the truth. Because those who are eager to hear the truth, Jesus promises them, will find it. So the big question we need to ask is, why did Jesus tell them in parables when he could have just given them these facts, right? What's his angle here? And as I said earlier, parables are truth stories that connect Jesus' ministry to the power of the entire word of God, that connect Jesus' ministry to the Old Testament. Parables are all over the Bible. If you're looking for them, you'll see them everywhere. One well-known example is when the prophet Nathan, he confronted King David over his sin, over the murder and his adultery, Right? But if we think about that, that's a super dangerous assignment. That's a dangerous thing. He could have died if he just came up and said, David, sit down because I know this, right? I know what you did. I know this happened. You're a bad person right now, you know, yada, yada. That would have been bad. No one can just approach the king like that. So instead of hitting David with all these facts and trying to kind of show his authority over David or whatever he would do, instead of rebuking him, he tells him a story. He says, there were two men in town, one rich and one poor, and the rich man had tons of sheep, but the poor man had only one that he loved with all of his heart. And when a traveler came to the rich man, the rich man needed to provide food, but instead of taking one of his sheep, he took the poor man's only sheep, the poor man's sheep that he loved. And the passage tells us that David's heart, after hearing this story, burned with anger. And he said, that man deserves to die, to which then Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. The story connected the heart with the imagination. To hear the truth that would awaken the conscience, to hear what he did, and to hear his fallenness in the truth of a story. That's a parable. That's the beauty of a parable. One pastor said, we tell stories to know who we are to understand ourselves and our place in the world. It's as though all of our stories are a way for the imagination to poke at the human condition, testing its borders and depths, looking for ways to understand the why behind the what of our lives. But still, you kind of have to ask, didn't Jesus want that? Because he says, again, right at the end, after telling this parable, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So why didn't he just tell them what it meant right then and there in front of the big crowd? That's exactly what the disciples ask him, because they don't know what it means when he tells this story in verse 9 through 10. What does this parable mean? He said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus is now, he's beginning to unravel to us what's, gonna, what's happening, the use of this parable, and he's going to answer our questions for us, too. This parable reveals the universal conditions of the heart and teaches how even the hearts that reject the gospel are still a fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. So we move into what Jesus is describing as these conditions of the heart. Pointing back to the Old Testament, Jesus is saying that it's more likely that hearts will go unchanged in hearing the word than changed. Church, we just need to let that sink in. That there's a lot of seed that we are sowing out. And it is expected that people will reject it. That's a hard truth. That's a hard reality. That's hard to know being a pastor. That's a hard thing to hear. But yet it confirms it with me, at least in my story, after sharing the gospel with someone. And they reject it. I don't know about you, but there's a, a vulnerability I feel when I'm sharing what's most important to me in my faith. And for that to be rejected, I always think like, Psh, well, that was awkward. One time that happened when I was getting a haircut. It's not good. She gave me a bad haircut. She did three stripes in the back. It was not good. I should have known she was reading The, the Exorcist, like, on the that that was the book that she was enjoying for that day which i don't know how it came up but it happened and i came out with a bad haircut so there's plenty of moments that we can all have when you know sharing this and we need to be met with these realities that if it's something that you care about there is some part of it that may bring disappointment but but it is a part of god's plan it is a part of his will his will is not shaken over rejection and bad haircuts he is perfectly content his will is being perfectly done but when the disciples they ask him that there is a condition of the heart that Jesus is exposing for us the surprise it isn't a surprise to God that this is happening. In fact, it's his redemptive plan of salvation and a fulfillment of it. In Matthew 13, Jesus kind of fills in more details that Luke has kind of chosen to leave out. When Jesus shares the same parable, Matthew 13, it says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Paul would further go on and explain the results of hearts grown callous to the gospel in Romans one twenty one. For though they knew God they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead Their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts were darkened. So there's a weighty importance toward us understanding the conditions of our heart and the dramatic unfolding of of God's redemptive plan in the midst of his church looking out on a world so desperately in need of the gospel. While stories may ignite the imagination. They can't change a heart. But God can. And Jesus is saying there's a grand story unfolding before their eyes, but they don't perceive the significance of it. The truth remains hidden until their eyes are opened and they see clearly. There's an author and teacher, uh, Rebecca Pippert, she had this, she writes of this moment when she's sitting in this graduate psychology class, and she's sitting in with all the students, she's auditing this course, and at one point, the professor, he gives this case study of this man um, where they were using all these different therapeutic methods um, to help him out and to kind of uncover this deep hostility that he had towards his mother. And this helped this client understand himself kind of in these new ways. But Pippert just raises her hand, and then she asks the professor. She asks why they didn't practice forgiveness. Of all these therapeutic methods and all these things that they explained, forgiveness was never mentioned in any of it. And she just asked why. And the professor quickly snapped back, and he said, Don't force your values about the forgiveness onto the patient. Forgiveness is only a concept that scientific psychology doesn't speak to. After he said that, some of the students began to be kind of a little restless, like, say, what, you know, what are you talking about? Right, and he wants to try to relieve it, so then he says, if you guys are looking for a changed heart, I think you're looking in the wrong department. And at that point, Pippert raised her hand again. And she said, the truth is, we are looking for a changed heart. And I would agree with her, but I would add a line. That we are looking for a changed heart, yes, but we're also looking to understand the conditions of our heart. And how we find ourselves wrapped up in the human condition and why we so desperately need grace. And why we so desperately need to cling to Jesus. That's what we need to understand. Our actions expose the conditions of our heart. And for those of us who call ourselves disciples, friends, we have hope. There's a hope that we can love much because we have been forgiven much. And because we are loved much. In the previous chapter, before Jesus tells the parable, Luke, he describes this encounter that has two polar opposite examples of the conditions of a heart. Jesus is sitting in the same house with Simon the Pharisee and this woman who's only called a sinner. And Simon... He's sitting with Jesus, he hears the truth, he sees the truth, and yet he's completely repulsed by it. But the woman, who doesn't even have a name other than sinner, is so moved by hearing the truth that she repeatedly expresses her love for Jesus by washing his feet with all that she has, which is an alabaster jar of perfume and her tears and her hair. She's not even given the dignity of asking for a towel. And they're so repulsed by Jesus, they don't even offer him one. This is the story when they're sitting down and all of the Pharisees have clean feet, but Jesus is sitting among the circle with the one person with dirty feet. That's that story. What does it show us? It shows us the conditions of the heart. And Jesus explains this moment further, not only by providing the conditions of a heart that we've seen, but now he's going to move into how do we receive the word. And he begins to unfold for us descriptions of the heart itself. So let me take your, let me draw your attention to verse 11, where Jesus explains this parable and he breaks down the heart in about, in four categories. So the first being what I call a hardened heart. So verse 11, it says, now the parable is this, Jesus is explaining it now. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So if we just sit in that, friends, in the church, we celebrate the victory that we have over sin and death from the resurrection. But what we might need to acknowledge a little bit more often is the fact that the devil would not be called a prowling lion if he didn't have victims. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and it does happen. It really does. For some Life has hardened them so much that the seed, when it touches their heart, just bounces off as if seed was on concrete or hard, hard soil. Their responses is usually hostility or it could just be straight up uninterest. Hard hearts need to be plowed by sorrow. And disappointment so that the light shines bright. So that God's word takes root. But it does take a lot of plowing. And sometimes it just bounces off. The next description that Jesus describes is a shallow heart. This is in verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So, this is someone who has an emotional response to the gospel, but has never truly penetrated down to the heart. One theologian described it as a people who have been brushed by Christianity, right? And I think to me personally, this is the most heartbreaking to see as a Christian. Because as a Christian, when I am walking with someone, when someone's uh, claimed new faith, my heart is so full, I'm so excited for them. I'm so excited and I want to believe that faith is blossoming in this new believer. Celebrate this excitement with them. I had an old friend like this. He had a life difficulty. He found comfort in the church. Super involved, getting in, getting plugged in. But once his emotions kind of died out, he began to get bored. And then he realized at some point that the church is not, though we are enthusiastic and excited people, we also have problems. We're also working through things. And once his emotions died out and he got bored with church, another hard spell came and he rejected his faith altogether. And I've never heard from him since. And it's sad. It's sad that that is a reality of, a, of a, what a shallow heart can, can be. True faith, friends, puts down deep, sustaining roots in the mind and the will. But the third description is an infested heart. Verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is a heart infested with the love for other things and is not believing. The good news that they found is that their Amazon packages came. Right, That's the news that they are glad in. They are too caught up with worries of the world to see their own need of salvation. Those with an infested heart need to see themselves honestly for their soul's sake. There's an honesty that's lacking. But the final description is a noble heart. Let's read together verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The NIV translation combines the word honest and good with noble. Good soil brings up good fruit. And fosters within the heart nobility. This is a heart undivided, undistracted, and receptive to the truth. The heart moved and changed by the gospel is a heart of nobility. And I just wanna make sure that we are all on the same page when we're reading this passage, because the purpose of this parable is not for you to sit in your chair and prod your inner motives over trying to determine your soil. Like, ah, am I in the hard hard soil one? Am I in the festing soil? Just before Jesus talked to the crowd and shared this, we're told that three women who just began walking with Jesus, one of them was just healed of evil spirits, one had seven demons, and another one um, was serving an unbelieving secular king. And then Jesus is with disciples who had no idea what he was saying. If anyone should be self-conscious, it would be them. Right? There's, literally, there's, there's no merit there. <laughs> like, everyone's fresh. Everyone's pretty raw. I'm only a couple of days away from the seven-demon thing I need Jesus, I don't know what he's talking about. Right? That's some insecurity, right? But Jesus was not giving this parable so that they would examine their own hearts and be left wondering, is that me? He's doing the opposite. The purpose of this parable is to say, blessed are you because you do see. Blessed are your ears because they have heard. Blessed are you because good seed has come into good soil. You who once were mocked by demons regularly now has a heart that's filled with nobility. That's what this parable is about. You who were insecure because you were working for a king that practiced unethical things and made you uncomfortable all the time, your heart is now good because good seed has fallen on it. The purpose of the parable is to say, blessed are you. A new story has been written. A new story has begun. We could all put a name to our pasts, couldn't we? Friends, if you think back, what has your story been shaped with? Maybe the name for it is corrupted. Maybe it's defiled. Maybe it's abandoned. Maybe it's sinful. But Christian, let Jesus assure you now your new word is noble. Your new word is honest. Your new word is good. Not from what we found in ourselves, but what the Spirit has grown in us. Amen? Hearts living and actively pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful. I think that that's what C.S. Lewis was getting at when he said the old ego, the old will has been turned around, reconditioned, made into a new thing. The will of Christ no longer limits theirs, it is theirs. All their time in belonging to him belongs also to them, for they are his. That is the new story that gets rewritten in us, church. So the question is, is not to look introspectively at like, what, you know, am I on this hard soil? What kind of soil am I? It's to be confident that Jesus has placed good soil. And so your question is, is how can we join Christ and sow seed that lands on good soil? How can we, as his image bearers, become his ambassadors that sow good seed and see the kingdom flourish? I think a couple of takeaways. The first is that we practice nobility. That we practice nobility. In ancient Rome, it was within the law, and it encouraged in this society that if a mother had a child that was handicapped or was disformed, that they should, should, not could, should bring the newborn outside the city and leave them on a hill that was the piles of manure and the trash heaps. but it was the Christians who would wait at night and they would spend their nights listening for the cries of newborn babies and crawl through the piles of manure and the trash heaps to take these little ones and bring them in. And sometimes their lives only lasted a couple of days. Sometimes they would find them already dead. But whatever the condition of the baby, those Christians would adopt them into their families. And their ministry was to tend to them before they died and give them a burial or to adopt them as sons and daughters. And in the catacomb of Pamphilio, there are little tombs where they would bury these newborns. But their epitaphs would read, this is the adoptive daughter, the adopted daughter of. This child is the adopted son of. Not only would they give them dignity, they would give them a name. They would rewrite their story. That's nobility. Christian, that's what your inheritance has been brought into. Nobility looks like that. The more we practice and encourage one another to practice nobility, the more the light will shine in dark places and new stories will be rewritten. Which, friends, it leads us to my second point, which is practice nobility and become a storyteller. As storytellers, the story of God in Christ redeeming the world is the air we breathe, church. It is the air we breathe, our motivation. And if hearts are going to be aimed towards God's kingdom, they'll be won over by good storytellers. In a post-truth culture, where facts and reason are like pretty much meaningless at this point to a lot of people. Stories may be our strongest ally in speaking to the heart and drawing out the imagination to see what God will do. Friends, be assured. There hasn't just been a change in you, there's been a change of you. You literally do, in every meaning of the word that the Bible describes, have a new heart. So see what Jesus has done within it. Let your heart be filled with nobility, with goodness, and with truth, because Jesus has done so. Jesus has made the way. And he has given us the task of becoming storytellers. You guys pray with me. Jesus, we come before you and we ask you, God, to ignite a passion within us. Because, Lord, for for all of us who live now in Seattle, who go about our daily lives, the sin that we encounter experience, and even do discourage our hearts. But Father, you have sown good seed. And for those who put their faith in Christ, for those of us who trust Jesus with everything that we have, I pray that you would bring refreshment to our hearts and to our souls, that we may be filled with this nobility you've instilled in us, that you've planted within us, and that you would help us become storytellers in telling that new story that we have in Christ. We pray all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen.
0: This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online,